Chapter Seven of Tests of the D'Urbervilles by Thomas Hardy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Tests of the D'Urbervilles by Thomas Hardy, read by Adrian Pretzelis. Chapter Seven. On the morning appointed for her departure, Tess was awake before dawn. At the marginal minute of the dark, when the grove is still mute, save for one prophetic bird who sings with a clear-voiced conviction that he at least knows the correct time of day, the rest preserving silence, as if equally convinced that he is mistaken. She remained upstairs packing till breakfast-time, and then came down in her ordinary weekday clothes, her Sunday apparel being carefully folded in her box. Her mother expostulated, "'You will never set out to see you folks without dressing up more the dan than that.' "'But I'm going to work,' said Tess. "'Well, yes,' said Mrs. Durbeyfield, and in a private tone, "'At first there may be a little pretensant, but I think it will be wiser, Ivy, to put your best side outward,' she added. "'Very well.' "'I suppose you know best,' replied Test, with calm abandonment. And so, to please her parent, the girl put herself quite in Joan's hands, saying serenely, "'Do what you like with me, mother.' Mrs. Durbeyfield was only too delighted at this tractability. First she fetched a great basin, and washed Tess's hair with such thoroughness that when dried and brushed, it looked twice as much as at other times. She tied it with a broader pink ribbon than usual. Then she put upon her the white frock that Tess had worn at the club-walking, the airy fullness of which, supplementing her enlarged coiffure, imparted to her developing figure an amplitude which belied her age, and might cause her to be esteemed as a woman, when she was not much more than a child. "'I declare there's a hole in my stocking-heel,' said Tess. "'Never mind's holes in your stockings. They don't speak. When I was a maid, so long as I had a pretty bonnet, the devil might have found me in heels.' Her mother's pride in the girl's appearance led her to step back, like a painter from his easel, and survey her work as a whole. "'You must see yourself,' she cried. It is much better than you was on t'other day." As the looking-glass was only large enough to reflect a very small portion of Tess's person at one time, Mrs. Durbeyfield hung a black cloak outside the casement, and so made a larger reflector of the panes, as is the wont of bedecking cottagers to do. After this she went downstairs to her husband, who was sitting in the lower room. "'I'll tell ye what tis, Durbeyfield,' she said exultingly. "'He'll never have the heart not to love her. And whatever you do, don't say too much to Tess of his fancy for her, and this chance she has got. She is such an odd maid, that it mid set her against him, or against going there even now. And if all goes well, I shall certainly be for making some return to that parson at Stagfoot Lane for telling us.' "'Dear good man!' However, as the moment for the girl's setting out drew nigh, when the first excitement of the dressing had passed off, 
A slight misgiving found place in Joan Durbeyfield's mind. It prompted the matron to say that she would walk a little way, as far as to the point where the acclivity from the valley began its first steep ascent to the outer world. At the top Tess was going to be met with the spring-cart sent by the Stoke d'Urbervilles, and her box had already been wheeled ahead towards this summit by a lad with trucks to be in readiness. Seeing their mother put on her bonnet, the younger children clamoured to go with her. "'I do want to walk a little ways with Sissy, now she's going to marry her gentleman cousin and wear fine clothes.' "'Now,' said Tess, flushing and turning quickly, "'I'll hear no more of that. Mother, how could you ever put such stuff into their heads?' "'Going to work, my dear, for our rich relation, and help get enough money for a new horse,' said Mrs. Durbeyfield pacifically. "'Good-bye, father.' said Tess, with a lumpy throat. "'Good-bye, my maid,' said Sir John, raising his head from his breast as he suspended his nap, induced by a slight excess this morning, in honour of the occasion. "'Well, I hope my young friend will like such a comely sample of his own blood, and tell him, Tess, that being quite sunk, quite from our former grandeur, I'll sell him the title—yes, sell it and at no unreasonable figure. "'Not for less than a thousand pound!' cried Lady Durbeyfield. "'Tellin, I'll take a thousand pound. Well, I'll take less, when I come to think of it. He'll adorn it better than a poor lammockin fellow up myself can. Tellin he shall have it for a hundred, but I won't stand upon trifles. Tellin he shall hire it for a fifty, for twenty pound.' "'Yes, twenty pound, that's the lowest. Damn me, family honour is family honour, and I won't take a penny less.' Tess's eyes were too full, and her voice too choked, to utter the sentiments that were in her. She turned quickly, and went out. So the girls and their mother all walked together, a child on each side of Tess holding her hand, and looking at her meditatively from time to time, as at one who is about to do great things. Her mother just behind with the smallest, the group forming a picture of honest beauty, flanked by innocence, and backed by simple-souled vanity. They followed the way till they reached the beginning of the ascent, on the crest of which the vehicle from Trancheridge was to receive her, this limit having been fixed to save the horse the labour of the last slope. Far away behind the first hills the cliff-like dwellings of Shaston broke the line of the ridge. Nobody was visible in the elevated road which skirted the ascent, save the lad whom they had sent on before them, sitting on the handle of the barrow that contained all Tess's worldly possessions. "'Bide here a bit, and the cart will soon come, no doubt.' said Mrs. Durbeyfield. "'Yes, I see it yonder.' It had come, appearing suddenly from behind the forehead of the nearest upland, and stopping beside the boy with the barrow. Her mother and the children thereupon decided to go no further, and bidding them a hasty good-bye, Tess bent her steps up the hill. They saw her white shape draw near to the spring-cart, on which her box was already placed. But before she had quite reached it, another vehicle shot out from a clump of trees on the summit, came round the bend of the road there, 
passed the luggage-cart, and halted beside Tess, who looked up as if in great surprise. Her mother perceived, for the first time, that the second vehicle was not a humble conveyance like the first, but a spick-and-span gig or dog-cart, highly varnished and equipped. The driver was a young man of three or four-and-twenty, with a cigar between his teeth, wearing a dandy cap, drab jacket, breeches of the same hue, white neckcloth, stick-up collar, and brown driving-gloves. In short, he was the handsome, horsey young buck who had visited Joan a week or two before to get her answer about Tess. Mrs. Durbeyfield clapped her hands like a child. Then she looked down and stared again. Could she be deceived as to the meaning of this? "'Is dat the young gentleman kinsman who makes Sissy a lady?' asked the youngest child. Meanwhile the muslin form of Tess could be seen standing still, undecided, beside this turn-out, whose owner was talking to her. Her seeming indecision was, in fact, more than indecision, it was misgiving. She would have preferred the humble cart. The young man dismounted and appeared to urge her to ascend. She turned her face down the hill to her relatives, and regarded the little group. Something seemed to quicken her to a determination, possibly the thought that she had killed Prince. She suddenly stepped up. He mounted beside her, and immediately whipped on the horse. In a moment they had passed the slow cart with the box, and disappeared behind the shoulder of the hill. Directly Tess was out of sight, and the interest of the matter as a drama was at an end, the young one's eyes filled with tears. The youngest child said, "'I wish poor, poor Tess wasn't gone away to be a lady,' and lowering the corners of his lips, burst out crying. The new point of view was infectious, and the next child did likewise, and then the next, till the whole three of them wailed loud. There were tears also in Joan Durbeyfield's eyes, as she turned to go home. But by the time she had got back to the village, she was passively trusting to the favour of accident. However, in bed that night she sighed, and her husband asked her what was the matter. "'Oh, I don't know exactly,' she said. "'I was thinking that perhaps it would have been better if Tess had not gone.' "'Oughtn't ye to have thought of that before?' "'Well, tis a chance for the maid. Still, if twere the doing again, I wouldn't let her go till I had found out whether the young gentleman is really a good-hearted young man, and choice over her as his kinswoman.' "'Yes, you ought perhaps to have done that,' snored Sir John. Joan Durbeyfield always managed to find consolation somewhere. "'Well, as one of the genuine stock, she ought to make her way within, if she plays her trump card aright, and if he don't marry her afore, he will after. For that he's all afire with love for her, any eye can see that.' "'What's her trump card? Her d'Urberville blood, you mean?' "'No, stupid. Her face, as 'twas mine.'" End of chapter 7